Hello and welcome back to the wide world of wargaming. As always, I am your host, Alex Gonzalez, and with me tonight I have uh, our fellow host, Garrett. Uh, our other hosts are down for the count unexpectedly today, so we will, uh, Jeremy, John, and Matthew are sorely missed for today's episode, but things happen, life happens, we all know how it is. Uh, on today's episode, we are going to be taking a look at a couple of different events, specifically Food for the Blood God, which was in the Portland, Oregon area, as well as the Michigan GT, which quite realistically was a major uh, Age of Sigmar championship in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, before we get started, though, Garrett, what is on your workbench? Not a whole lot these days, just reorganizing the house, um, getting some practice games in. I got, I played a bunch of games last week with my buddy and teammate James O'Brien. Um, we've been doing a bunch of practicing, trying to get ready for Du Bois GT, trying to crash course myself into learning my Sylvaneth army. Now that it's getting all painted, mm. uh, my buddy, uh, my buddy, Matt, who's painting my army for me is getting a lot done. So it should be ready soon and be ready by Du Bois. Uh, and then on Sunday, I went to a tournament, uh, just a small one-day tournament down in near Richmond at Battlegrounds game. Um, had a lot of fun. Went two and one. Uh, lost against uh, Night Haunt, the guy who got uh, best death at Nova, Jordan Weatherwax. Um, so I played him round one and lost. And then the other two games I, uh, did really well and shot them off the board real quick. So I had a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, not really much building or anything like that. What about you? How, how are things going for you right now? Oh man, I don't have very much on my workbench. Uh, in fact, I actually have nothing on my workbench because I just got rid of my workbench yesterday and I, uh, kind of replaced one, you know, we, uh, we had a dining table that was a little clunky and quite frankly, not very aesthetically pleasing. So, uh, you know, I got rid of my old hobby table, put the former dining table in my workroom, and uh, that's my new workbench now. And it's a lot nicer. So I'm actually going to take better care of it. But um, so right now it is clean for that reason, at least for now. That'll probably change by next episode. Um, I... Did some gaming this last weekend. Uh, our good friend and uh, co-host, uh, Jeremy, our French overlord, he and I went down to Bend, Oregon to spend some Oktoberfest celebrations with our good friends Cody and, and uh, our uh, good friend of the show, Ben uh, Schmoller, who's also the head TO for the Cascadia Open, uh, formerly T-Shift. So we got some games in with them. I uh, played a little 40K, played a little AOS. Uh, I was able to get my uh, first game in with uh, Warclans. Uh, I fought my standard Night Haunt army against uh, Jeremy's um, Iron Jaws Grand Wog list, and it was a hearty list. He, uh, he, we had called it by turn three. You know, once he, we rolled for priority on turn three, I said, "Well, this this game's over." But. Uh, my, I had played the game in a fashion so that I can get a better understanding as to how war clans work now. You know, it's one thing to read the book. It's a whole other thing to see it on the table, especially in the hands of a skilled and experienced player. So, you know, uh, we played Battle for the Pass, and it was Realm of Metal, and we were using the SoCal Open uh, guide. So it was, it was a good game. Um, I... 
he had a maw crusher with the ethereal amulet, and that guy was real hard to move, especially with some less than stellar dice rolls on my end when it came to mortal wound abilities or spells to try to cause to him because, you know, very quickly he got the six up shrug and, uh, you know, he, he, it's hard to move when he's got a three up save, uh, you know, quickly rerolling ones for his armor save with that shrug. Just, it just was difficult. Um, and then on one turn, I had a shade mist, uh, shade misted and, uh, mystic shielded 20 girl Harridan unit that was completely wiped out just because of bad dice rolls on my part. Oof. Um, and against, uh, uh, some ard boys, some brutes and uh, one unit of brutes, one unit of ard boys and three gore gruntas. So like you can only go so far with the bad dice rolls, but I mean, minus one to wound was a slight benefit when he was hitting and wounding on twos. Um, yeah, because- no, that uh, it's it's fun when you actually do the math on things where giving a minus one a hit on somebody who hits on twos, you only reduce their damage output by about 20%. So like similar minus one to wound when they're already wounding on twos, it's only a 20% reduction in damage. While minus one attack, if they had two attacks, is a 50% reduction in damage. So yeah, giving minus one to hit or wound on people who already have high hit wound rolls doesn't make a massive impact. No, it, it definitely doesn't. Uh, it it was a really interesting game. You know, they had so many attacks and the fact that all their buffs accumulate is really, really strong. Um, I don't think it's overpowered. I think it's going to take a lot of people by surprise. And I think it is going to mess with the meta more than free city or cities of Sigmar does. Um, that's my opinion though. Um, I think that it's going to be real brutal and it's going to hit hard here. Um, so, you know, it's, it was exciting. Um, I was able to kill the mock Crusher, but by the time I killed the mock Crusher, I'd focused so many resources to it that if I got the double turn, I would have a chance. And if I didn't, he would just wipe the board with me and it continued in his favor because I gave him a priority turn one. So, uh, I never got the double turn and that's that, um, but it was good. You know, again, when I play an ar- against an army that I'm not fully ready for yet, um, what I like to do is I definitely like to play Smash into Middle Hammer. So I can just put all my crap out there in the front and try to charge turn one or something like that and just see what happens. So I found out what happens. <laughs> so I'm going to call it a win just because, you know, I'm learning more about this new army. But holy crap, do I think that it is strong. And, and again... I'm going to hold it to it. My listeners can hold me to it. I think that it's stronger than Cities of Sigmar. Uh, you know, at least if we compare two armies that came out at the exact same time. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Garrett? Um, I mean, I've been doing a lot of theory hammer with locals up here on Cities of Sigmar. I do agree that the new Orc book is really strong. I think it's a, a book that was really well done, uh, similar to Sylvaneth or Corn or uh, some of those not so egregious gimmicky books that just are super overpowered. It's probably closer to like maybe how Skaven was done, where it just has over all around very good rules, like nothing, no real weaknesses. Um, I mean, it has its inherent weaknesses, but uh, I think cities of Sigmar, as far as like shaking up the meta, it's, it's literally shifting the meta away from a brutal melee army to shooting like because shooting is one of those things that has kind of been shied away in sigmar 
and like Slanesh, you can just shoot them off the board. You just don't engage them, and it doesn't matter they make you strike last because you're not engaging. Similar against orcs. If you don't engage them, you just shoot them off the board, but then they're gone, and they don't attack you. And melee-centric armies that get shot off the board don't get to play the game. So No, they don't. I, I kind of noticed that when I was playing my Sylvaneth, and I'm focusing more on shooting than I have in the past. And like I went up against Legion of Sacrament, which is normally a you know so it's a fairly strong army, but I just rolled through it because I was able to just shoot Archon off the board. He's not really scary when you just throw six bow hunters and Drycha into him, and you just blow him off the board. So it, like things that are normally like hard to get to, um, like attacking and like where they have screens and all these things that make them really protected and stuff you just remove those protections when you just shoot them so i think cities of sigmar is going to bring that where they just have so much shooting power it's going to be it's going to change a lot of the armies on how they used to play because you can't protect your big guys anymore it's, you're going to need ethereal amulets just to even engage yeah yeah i think that you're right on that um and you know the Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon, the Mock Crusher with Ethereal Amulet, those two are the, still the sexiest choices available, um, especially to kind of survive your big baddies against um, shooting attacks. But, you know, there are plenty of things out there that can transfer wounds to other things. You know, uh, yeah, I would definitely, I mean, if you're bringing Nagash or Arkin or Alariel, you're going to get shot off by these shooting armies. You know, it's, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, I am curious because wow. Cities of Sigmar, if you play Anvil Guard, has a spell which sets your save characteristic to dash. I'm wondering if Ooh. that can get around the Ethereal Amulet. So you could just set the Mockcrusher's save to dash and then just shoot him with crossbows and kill him. So when you set the save from a 3-up to a, a dash, what are you doing to, to the 3-up save? It says change their save characteristic to dash. Yeah, but uh, uh, what what is the word we use when we change the save characteristic? I'm being uh, purposely quiet. That was not a mistake. I, I know, and I was purposely <laughs> baiting you with my question. Yeah. <laughs> In my opinion, yeah, um, that is a modifier. That is, that is us modifying the save. Not to say that that's not strong. I mean, yeah. you can bring the ignores one rend relic on the mock Russia, and then suddenly you're like, great, you're going to ignore one rend because that's what you chose before the tournament. But now his save in this game in particular is now dashed. Yeah. So like, bye-bye. Or like, again, if someone has like a named character as a general, you just go, bye-bye. Yeah, exactly. Um, super strong. I but yeah, no, there's, is the city of Sigmar just has some of these random stuff. And then like with the umbral spell portal, you can just cast your spells everywhere because you're supercharging all your, uh, endless spells. You can Honestly, teleport. at that point, at that point, Nagash is a good idea because then Nagash can easily just like shut down a magic phase himself. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a bind range. <laughs> yeah, very true. Also, this um, the, you run into the problem of Nagash being, again, a big monster that Cities of Sigmar can just shoot off the board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there are some armies that might have an easier time. I'm curious to see how Cities would deal with Skaven. Because I feel like... I don't know, I just... <sighs> listeners aren't going to probably like this, but I just I feel like Cities have more kind of like gimmicky lists i want to say i don't know 
Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, Every single one of their lists is a mathematically efficient gimmick. That's all the book is. A bunch of mathematical efficiencies. Like you can literally math hammer that book out and just pump out the most cost effective shooting units in the book and just shoot people and you'll win more games than you lose. I mean, maybe it depends on your meta. Um, I have not fought against cities yet, but I am relatively confident against them because a lot of their stuff relies on rend with their shooting abilities. And then also, you know, you can't shoot at what's not on the board yet. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I think your army is probably one of the strong armies against cities. I'm, I'm intrigued by Sylvaneth because I've noticed against shooting based armies, I can just summon trees and block line of sight. So I can just mm. shut down shooting lanes and stuff. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. But, it, you know, unless they have fly or ignore line of sight artillery. But, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, totally. You're absolutely correct on that. Um, I'm very curious about that. Um, yeah, definitely test that out. Also, real quick, the event that you went to this weekend, I do not see it in Best Coast Pairings. Oh, it's uh, Age of Sigmar tournament hosted by Oscar Lars at Battlegrounds or something like that. That's the name of the event. Yeah, it's a uh, what was it called? Um, it wasn't Bisco Sparings. The Battlegrounds guys. Uh, Age of Sigmar tournament hosted by WCG and Oscar Lars. So Warp Charge Gaming and Oscar host the event. Um, good guys down there. Real fun time. Okay, and it was on a Saturday. No, it was on a Sunday. Hmm. Okay. It was, oh, it was just a what? small event. You can uh, you can look it up later. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, it's a 14-person event. It's yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, that gives you a good number of points uh, there. So so who was your loss? You you played against uh, Jordan Weatherwax? Yeah, Jordan Weatherwax. My, my buddy, Matt Barker, who's painting my army, he ended up taking the whole win for the day. Oh, heck yeah. Okay. You know, this... Uh, it's definitely an interesting list. Um, yeah, I think he talked to you. He was saying, I believe he talked to you at Nova. You might have been uh, quite inebriated um, when you were talking to him. But uh, he, he's a good guy. His list is uh, interesting. I mean, definitely a heavy use of Blade Gas Revenants. So uh, obviously scary, but not not a lot of bodies. But it, it, he's he utilizes uh, the Underworlds quite well to do board control. Um, it ended up being a really unfortunate matchup where my army relies on movement tricks to do well. It was focal points. So there's five objective markers and he does movement tricks better than me mm-hmm. and he has more bodies than me. And so just, mm-hmm. it, it kind of just was not, it was not a, it was not my game to win and I didn't win. So understood, understood. Yeah, well, you know, you, you win some, you lose some, um, Taking a look at your list here, um, I am very curious. You know, I see the Branch Witch, I see the Branch Wraith, um, and I see uh, the Draka and the Tree Lord Ancient as your heroes. I also see 15 Sprite Revelants as your battle line. I then see two units of three Colonel Hunters with Great Bows and six Colonel Hunters with Great Swords in the Outcast Battalion with the Balewind Vortex and Spite Swarm Hive. And you're at 1970, so you're more often than not, you're getting that triumph. But um, how are you enjoying that list? I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's a list that – so you, the one thing you missed is that I'm playing Null Root as my Grove in particular, which is an important My bit. bad. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because null root means that all of my wizards uh, bubble out a 12 inch bubble of reroll ones to hit. So uh, every single one of my units, including the Arc Revenant, can give out reroll ones to hit. Arc Revenant is only the hunters, but everyone else can. They inherently have their own reroll ones to hit. So I can I can deploy my army not being focused around a single hero to generate rerolls. Um, and then the army utilizes every single phase. I have really strong casting. My branch witch, uh, my branch wraith, uh, her relic gives her an extra cast, and then the bellwind gives her an extra cast. So she's a level three caster. And then her spell makes it so she gets plus two to casting. So she's able to sit there. And then every time she casts a spell, she heals a unit with 18 inches D3 wounds. So she's able to cast spells and heals. Uh, they, the Tree Lord Ancient can revive unit models. And then Drycha can heal mo- units, um, heal models. So I have a bunch of really uh, good casting to do stuff. And then in the movement phase, I can summon trees, teleport between trees, hold some of my guys in reserve, teleport them near the trees. Uh, and so I kind of can move around the board really well. The Spite Swarm Hive gives me plus three move, plus three charge to units near it. So I can uh, move really fast. I can uh, teleport over to a tree and then charge really far. Um, and then the shooting phase, Drika has a really good shooting attack. The Bow Hunters are really good at shooting. And then the Tree Lord Ancient has a very efficient shooting attack. So I got some pretty decent balanced shooting. And then charge phases, I have all of my teleports being able to get charges with the spice from hive giving me increased charge ranges and then in the combat phase the sword hunters are very brutal drycha can be very efficient the spites are very efficient for their points tree lord ancient's very tough um and then the tree lord ancient can also pass out uh reroll ones to saves in a 12 inch bubble which then kernel hunters bubble out themselves as well so it's got a lot of just efficiencies and pieces of everybody working together for uh, it's just they, they, I utilize every phase as much as I can, and it's just a lot of moving cogs, and it's a lot of fun to play. Okay. Good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying this list. Uh, you know, uh, with this, you know, this is your first tournament that you've brought it, right? Mm-hmm. Then we're likely to, to get some kinks out of that, right? Yep. Yeah, you know, this was actually my, the, my first game was probably my sixth game with the list but the previous five games i only played one to two turns of so it's my first full game with the list because i've been just getting practice session after practice session to try to crash course myself into the beginnings of the list and this tournament i was using as my first real training session with the list to see how it performs in full games so yeah i wasn't i was not upset with the loss at all um it was a very enlightening experience to play something other than skaven um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. So there were a few events that we do want to take note of for this last weekend. There were a few GTs. There were a few GTs that ended up becoming RTTs. Um, and there was uh, one, pre- uh, one pretty significant major. And, uh, there was another event that wasn't necessarily an ITC event, but I do want to give it a quick shout out. It was the event called Food for the Blood God. Again, it was in Oregon, uh, in the Portland, Oregon area, technically Oregon City. Um, and it is uh, by uh, hosted by Warhammer hero Jeremy Srofe. Um, You know, he's a great guy. He runs a great tournament. Um, he runs kind of a, a competitive GT in Portland, Oregon in the springtime uh, year by year uh, called Rose City Wrath. But uh, he is known for his Food for the Blood God event. And it is a... Uh, program 
Now, it's just, you know, a day of Age of Sigmar. It's a tournament. Um, he doesn't make it ITC for a very good reason, and that's because there's a lot of rerolls. In fact, rerolls that you can purchase. But the way you purchase them is through do- donating food. It's a very lar- large toy drive. And, uh, in fact, to- the uh, donations are also admission to the event as well, or at least five, five food products donated. And so... He's been doing this for years. He used to do it back in the Warhammer Fantasy days as well. So he's well experienced with it. So I just wanted to give him a shout out. Uh, last year and the year before, I think I got I won the award for most donated. So, you know, I, I held my rage in as I went to Costco on a weekend and just like tried to maintain my calm um, and just like piled up a bunch of stuff year by year. And they have great prize support. It's an amazing event. It's for a great cause. So I just wanted to give that quick shout out there. So, you know, I unfortunately was unable to go. Same with Jeremy. But it looks like they had a great showing. You know, last year I think they had 22 people. This year they had 18 people. Um, and it is a great time. Uh, Reminds me of the uh, one time I've beaten you in 40K where I purchased, what was it, $46 oh, in yes. Google? Yes, our listeners would be happy to hear about this. Uh, back when, when I think both of us were good at 40K, um, we, uh, our good friend Liz, our good friend Liz Foster, was uh, going to uh, ETC uh, to play for the Croatia team for the first time. And they, she had a RTT where it was a donation. It was a, a basically a donation drive for her. You know, this is also before, um, you know, those, those websites that, you know, uh, those kind of Kickstarter-ish websites were, were around, the GoFundMes. So it was a tournament where all proceeds go to her getting to Croatia for the G, or for ETC. And uh, you could go, you play, it's, it's a fun tournament. But you could do, what was it, a dollar a reroll? Dollar a reroll. Dollar okay. Re-roll. And so this is probably mid sixth edition or early seventh edition, maybe for 40K. So, not to talk too much about a different game system, but uh, I think the final table were you and me, Garrett. It was your Sisters of Battle versus my Necrons. And you needed to make sure that you would win. And I think we both had spent a good, good penny at that event. But uh, how many dollars did you use on rerolls in our game alone? I think it was $46 just in your game. You specifically made sure that your rerolls went to rerolling an armor save for one sister of battle that was stuck in combat with some Necron warriors who just for the life of, for the love of God could not, um, you know, could not at all uh, fail or, I mean, actually move that one sister who had obsec uh, or, or something, or maybe I was, there was something going on there. There's something going uh, on. I held the was. relic and you needed Yeah, I was holding the relic and you set up your pile in and charge that there was no gap for your melee unit to come and murder me and you just had a, a troop dress unit just surrounding me. And I was like, you you screwed yourself, you can't charge in, and you can't you couldn't retreat back in the day. And so literally you just sat there and just like whacked me with some Necrons and I just kept spending money on rerolls. Oh dude, yeah. <laughs> I was losing my awesome. mind. But hey, it all went to a good cause. So <laughs> yeah. I think it took you yeah, years to forgive me yeah, for that. We game. Live and learn. Um, that actually happened in the last Food for the Blood God with me and Jeremy. Jeremy had his sacrosanct um chamber with like a big unit of the evocators on the um on the tiger mount guys and uh i used a 
I used like 60 rerolls turn one to just like reroll all my failed saves and reroll all my failed death saves. And I think just like at that point after turn one, he was, or it was top of turn one. He was like, okay, there's no way I'm going to beat you with kills. You have how many rerolls left? And I was like 87 or something like that. And he's like, okay, we're done here. This game's over. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my Lord. <laughs> but, um, but it was still, it was a fun game. Um, you know, the rerolls. Reroll games, they're obviously, it's a real bad idea to make them an ITC event, but it's fun. Um, and it goes to a good cause in these instances. Um, so just wanted to give a shout out to that event, but we also wanted to take a look at a very big event that happened this weekend. And uh, that was the uh, Michigan GT Age of Sigmar Championships, as mentioned a little earlier, which was five rounds. Uh, you know, there, it was just, you know, Typical standard match play for 2019, and it had quite a few people. It had 30 people on the nose. Um, and, you know, our, our good friend and uh, Team America captain Bill Souza won it all with his Grand Alliance Order uh, army. Uh, Garrett, were you able to take a peek at his list? I have taken a quick glance at his list. Um, it is a very mixed order list with some hilarious chaos thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. And we have talked about that list for uh, at least a, a few times. You know, that is specifically uh, the uh, allied detachment, the, uh, what, what is it called? The, um, oh boy. It's one of the mercenaries. It's the like, it's the, it's the chaos marauder. I forgot what they were called too, called but the... essentially that ally, um, you're able to, move d6 before the game begins it's really the only benefit but it's also yeah. like 40 chaos marauders so that's a lot of bodies you got to get through um i don't know how i feel and you know it's it's interesting <laughs> um technically mercenaries aren't uh like you have to specify if mercenaries are going to be allowed in, at a tournament because of match play i always figured they would just be automatic but um so a, a to that uh, will not be named this this summer had brought that up to me when I had brought up a mercenary modeled unit in my opponent's army, um, you know, basically said, Oh, you know, I didn't know that, or that people were bringing that. I, my intention was not to have mercenaries because they're not about a mass play. And I kind of almost immediately counter argued. It was like, well, I mean, hidden agendas are also not part of mass play, but like we're playing with them and it's something that's commonly used. And, and fundamentally accepted among the wider community. So for me, I'm like, if I was a TO, I would always allow mercenaries in just like hidden agendas, you know? So it's interesting. I'd be, I'd be curious to see if the mercenaries are in the gaming book that just came out, a collection of all matched play rules that are supposed to be used in match play. I wonder if hidden agendas and mercenaries are in there. Cause I would argue that that is probably GW's, "Quote unquote, like acceptable match." I I agree. You know, it's funny, right? Um, the Dark Tower GT that I went to a couple of weeks ago, they only had a couple of those books uh, around. And you know, I use uh, iPad Mini, and I have um, you know BCP on it, and I have the um, the AOS app with Azure, and I have all my lists saved on a Word document uh, or on the Pages app on the iPad, and then uh, within the AOS app. I got the General's Handbook from now, uh, current and previous years, as well as the appropriate battle tomes, and basically everything but like the actual rulebook itself, which I can carry around otherwise. Um, 
this is very tempting to bring the book uh, instead. But the only reason that I'm not going to is because I've already spent money on the stuff on the app. But it is definitely tempting. I will say that. I did buy the book in the app. And uh, when I was playing with James, he was using it. And one of the really nice things they do is the realm rules has the realm on one Wait. page and the realm spells on the other. So if you go to the realm, so the it has a book right is now available other. on the app too. The app? Yeah, you can buy the gaming book in the... Uh, oh, well, now we're being a app. So, uh, tight. Um, you know, next <laughs> we're going to be talking about Audible or uh, Squarespace or something. Um, word. Okay, that is good to know. I will explore that option after recording today. Um, but what about the rest of this list? What were your thoughts on it? Um, I thought there was... I, I mean, I'd be really interested to see how this works in action... But the Tenembrel Shard with the Sword of Judgment seems incredibly nasty because it has that rule where on a 4+, you can just pick it up and put it within 3 inches of another unit and it gets plus 1 to hit. So you just basically pick it up, put it next to any hero you want, and you're getting 6 attacks with the Sword of Judgment doing D6 Mortal Wounds on 5s. So that's a nice character assassin yeah. unit right there so that i like that the marauders bring some really good bodies i mean you got 30 arcanaut company with a chemist so you're shooting people um he's got skinks for stupid objective janky bullshit um the pterodon riders are i've i haven't actually seen those at all ever but I would assume if Bill took them, they're probably some sort of points efficiency there that just makes them really good. Um, I'd have to actually look up the terror. I know a lot of people yes, use Ripperdactyls in the past, uh, Seraphon. But I haven't actually seen the Pterodons. I'd have to go look at what those do. And then to fill out Battle Line, he's got two units of 10 handgunners, which, you know, handgunners are fine. They they do their job, they're efficient. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. Um, this list is very reminiscent of uh, Josh Harvey, a Bay Area player. I played him last SoCal Open, and he brought you know two units of Skinks. Um, he didn't bring thirty Arcanaut, but he brought sixty Arcanaut with two Aether Chemists, and he also brought the Tabernacle Shard. The Tabernacle Shard was an immediate kill for like he immediately just nuked uh, Rikenor because there was like no way I was going to hide all of my heroes from them not to show up within distance. Um, and he just, you know, goes in, did his work with the, the Sword of Judgment, then bounced away. And so it's like immediately turn one, I had to like bring some of my forces back to kill the shard or else the shard would just turn by turn kill a hero. Um, and it was a very close win for me. Um, I, I won that game, but uh, it was not an easy win. And uh, he brought Alaria, which was also a huge point sinks by comparison, about the same price as those Pterodons plus. But this is very much... a uh, kind of a refined version, or at least it, it reminds me of a more refined version of that list. Um, you know, it's, I think that it's great. Um, I, uh, by the way, uh, the, the mercenary company in question is called the Rampagers. So uh, War Scroll Builder does put it at mm. the top now. Um, but look at those pterodons, you know, they have three wounds, they move 14 inches, so they are uh, fast boys. Um, five up armor save, which isn't all that great and dandy. Um, and, you know, these ones have the bolas, which are five inches rather than the 10 inch javelins. Um, and they're just one attack that hits on four, wound on four. Um, 
they uh but uh, when they hit you do d6 exactly. wound rolls with so them. when you hit you do d6 wound rolls yeah. with the uh bullas and then they do also have swooping dive um and you know they they have some deadly cargo so you know they they you know have those heavy boulders and basically you roll dice for each pterodon in the unit um once per game they can drop the boulders over a unit that they move over so that 14 inch move is very helpful and on a four or more the unit struck uh suffers d3 mortal wounds so so with a unit of 12 he's doing you know expected value 63 mortal wounds so he's looking at 12 wounds of a unit he flies over like that that'll cripple or kill a keeper um and he just needs to fly yep. over them to yep. do it um and then he can shoot the bolas at them so he could probably kill a keeper in one turn a fly over and then mm-hmm. throw bolas at um and then they got the sky blades with right do they have the sky blades and the bolas um so they're turned on Oh, I think just the leader has the Skyblade. Yeah, so they have... No, oh yeah, they just have the Pterodon beak. So, you know, four attacks, four. So they'll have each have four attacks, fours and fours. Yeah, so they're, they're pretty... I'd say they're a fairly efficient unit, you know? Um, and I think I think the Deadly Cargo is the key there because you can just literally kill or cripple a unit right off the bat and there's no defending against it. Like, they just fly over and do mortals still against you. So that's it literally can take out a necessary yeah. key target. So I, I think, think so too. Purpose. We'll have to get more specification to... from Bill, but I'm really thinking that that's the case here. Um, looking over at, uh, and, and again, congratulations, Bill, for that solid win there um, at the event. Now, second place is an Anthony Lawrence who brought Daughters of Cain um, of the same team as Bill for Gentleman Gaming. Um, looking at that, you know, it was a Hagnar list. I think that we have talked about a list like this probably about over a dozen times every single time um, you know yeah. this one is slightly different it's not just you know 60 witch elves it is blood rack shrine hag queen with the culture of blood surprise surprise two hag queens knight and cantor um 30 sisters of slaughter and 30 witch elves and 20 uh, uh blood sisters so i think this is pretty common these days because the 20 Blood Sisters in Hagnar are absolutely terrifying, with especially a mortal wound uh, possibility and two-inch reach um, and the multiple wounds. So you can really buff them up quite easily. I, I've been seeing the Blood Sisters more and more. And then he's got he still has 60 elves, so you know, still craps on a Hagnar yeah. elf there. Um, the interesting one is he has the Dias Arcanum for his Knight and Cantor. So because he just wants some extra casting on yeah, probably. Or That'd be fun. It'd be fun. It's fun to bring a 30-point yeah. enlist spell. Uh, and third place, you know, looking at that, it's uh, – <laughs> I love this, by the way. Uh, third place, I'm going to probably butcher his last name, but it looks like it is a Jake Liqueur. Um, and he brought Legion of Asgore, uh, Asgorth, or Chaos Dwarves. So <laughs> I have never seen a Chaos Dwarf player get – third place in a tournament that wasn't filled with three people. Right. So like, um, I'm amazed by that. <laughs> well, they have some very surprising units in there. Um, Rob from the honest Wargamer was running them for a while and had a lot of success with them. I think if you know what you're doing, 
they can be a little terrifying. The Kadai Fireborn I, are very deadly. Um, they have a lot of uh, ways to keep their units alive, and it, they're, they're a tough army. And so with the right matchups, again, a shooting list, they can really cripple and kill people before they get a chance to go. They may not be a five and O list, but you know, with the right matchups, you can play your way into a four and one. Quite well, yeah. I think. Uh, and, and that's exactly what happened here. You know, I'm, I'm curious about that. I mean, I fought against chaos dwarves quite a bit, actually. And you know, the infernal guard are okay. Um, not the best battle line, not the cheapest battle line either. Um, the bull centaur, the named one, the tar Taruk, he's okay. Um, well, oh, my apologies. Yeah, it's a title, so not a not right. a not a name. Um, he's got the the, the bull centers are are hardy. Demon Smith's okay. Uh, I I like the fact that there's a Zangor shaman in there, but I'm a little confused about. Well, I guess he's working there because he can do buffs again for I guess Beast of Chaos keyword. Well, um, he allows for his um. He's using the Wildfire Taurus with it because he's a Bray Herd, and so he's able to cast the Wildfire Taurus and the spell, which does mortal wounds uh. and makes you strike last. Also, he's a really good caster for hard to cast spells like the Geminids because once per game, he can uh, drink his potion or whatever and he rerolls casting. And I think generate and also cast an okay. additional spell. Then that would be why. That would so. be why he is around. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the 12 Kadai Fireborn, they're good. They're terrifying in combat and they're kind of fast they move eight inches the problem is they have a five up save that ignores rend but it's still just a five up save and also despite being demons i don't believe they're leadership 10 or bravery 10 um i mean inspiring presence yeah, is but i mean still, still we don't want to have to rely on that for this such a heavy hearty unit i mean there's six wounds a pop so that's also helpful with the fact that they only have a five up save my four, apologies. There are four, four wounds, wounds pop. pop. That is worse than I thought. Um, okay, the Skullcracker War Engine, though he does have that, and uh, I used I had played uh, about a year ago. I played against a guy who brought like three of the War Machines, and they are wonderful. And, you know, it's just funny that when they charge you, they hurt you. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting list, but you know, congratulations on winning with Chaos Dwarves, uh, Jake. So. That is that is an interesting one here. Um, any final thoughts? His one loss was to Anthony Lawrence. There you so, go. Um, and Anthony's Lawrence's one loss was to there Bill Caesar. So it's almost like that was uh, just his plan. Yeah. It was very Zinchian. Any final thoughts <laughs> at this uh, Michigan GT? Yeah. Um. Congratulations to everyone there. Um. And, uh, yeah, no, uh, seems like it was a really fun event. Uh, might try to make it out someday if I can get out to Michigan <laughs> during a random, uh, October. That'll probably be hard, but yeah, glad to see, uh, Sigmar getting high numbers at their events these days. So that, that is very help- encouraging and yeah. exciting. No, that's, that's, it's great. I am loving it. So we want to move on to one other thing that we want to talk about today, and that's going to be about training. You know, what do we do when we have to train for an event? 
And there's a lot of different ways that we can do so. You know, in a previous episode, we talked a lot about making sure that we were we had some wellness involved and made sure, or, you know, made sure that we can be physically prepared as well as mentally prepared for an event. But when we talk about actually training, just kind of like how we talked about earlier in this episode, you know, I didn't know what new, uh, what a grand wog uh, could do. You know, it's one thing to see what it does on paper and discuss it with friends. It's a totally, uh, it's a totally different situation when we actually get to the table, we start rolling dice against it. And there's a lot of different ways people start to train for events um, and, and get those practice games in. Sometimes you want to just get games in with random people, or in my case, play one of the best uh, players you know, in the, in the country or, or even the world. Basically, for me, it's a really uh, effective tactic for my own play to just beat my head against the wall that is the French overlord. Um, however, Garrett... What were some of your thoughts? How do you like to train for an event when it comes to the game itself? So one of the things that uh, James and I have started doing recently leading into WarGamesCon and to Nova and now into Du Bois is we like to do these uh, training days where we get together and we pl- we try to play as many games as possible in as short a time as possible. Like So we'll keep it to like one uh, hour, may, maybe 30 minutes to an hour and a half per game. And we focus heavily on deployment and the first two turns of the game. So what this allows you to do is really like, cause deployment and movement are the two most key things of the game that are for scoring points. And after turn two, usually the game is cut most times, I would say probably seven out of 10 games divulged into just executing your strategies from the first two turns. And it's just, you know, the dice at that point. So it's not going to, there's no real tactics left that you can do. So you, you focus on how do you deploy for each kind of mission? And we work, me and James work together closely as we deploy. We're like, okay, so I'm going to like deploy here. And we like, I'll help him. I'm like, no, 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 you should place this thing here because when I'm doing, I have this thing over here, uh, you'll be able to do that. So we help each other a lot during deployment and make sure we're both deploying both of our armies as optimally as possible. And then during movement, again, we talk to each other a lot. We, we uh, use each other as sounding boards about what we're doing. Uh, we don't just try to beat the other player. We actually are trying to help each other get better and learn from our mistakes. And then we look back over and it's like, okay, what went wrong? Uh, why? Th- how did that tactic work out for you, me? How did that tactic work out for you? So we try to get through like three to four games a day. Um, try to do that like once or twice a week and just go and get repetitions. So that's one of the really big things I like to do when going into an event. What about you, Alex? What's your what's your other than beating your face against uh, Jeremy over and over again? What other types of tactics do you like to do, or what do you think of this type of training? You know, I actually think that the type of training that you had is really concise. Honestly, I have never tried that style before. Um, I think that it's something that I would probably learn a lot from and get a lot of good use into, especially against opponents, you know, or friends that we want that want to kind of train with each other who 
are already well aware of what the other army does. You know, it's it's one thing to play an experimental game to be like, oh, I wonder what this army does. It's a whole other thing to be like, okay, well, you know, I fought against your Fire Slayers six billion times, and you fought against my Night Haunt twelve thousand times. Like, let's do it. You know, let's uh, play whatever's in the book, and we'll find out what happens. Um, really, being able to play just a standard ma- match play and just get the get the idea and the gist down of how you want to deploy against what army and what fashion, especially when you start playing a variety of lists, I think that that's great. Um, especially when you're primarily trying to focus on the first couple of turns, because that is what is primarily going to win it for you in the long run. Especially um, with those movement-based armies like Night Haunt, where yeah. you need to know when to do your deep strikes, who to hold into reserve, how to efficiently set up your screens, all these little things. Like when you're first playing Sigmar and you're just learning an army or whatever, or you're just getting into the game, playing just games and just learning the mechanics and getting through games to see how they end, I, I think is really helpful. But when you want to actually like get to that next level, you really have to start focusing on every single decision you make. And so not finish. And I feel like when you go to finish games, you end up spending so much time on things that don't matter anymore because like the dice of like, it's just dice at that point. And so you need to focus on where your decisions make the largest impact, which is the beginning of the turns. Yeah. I think that that's great. That's super important, especially with an army like yours too, like being able to try yeah. to do that with night hunt. It's going to be incredibly special and, and important in this instance. One of the weaknesses, though, that I've learned, which is why I still think it's important to get out there and play full games and like I really want to go out to the game store and play against random people is since both of us are trying to train our, with each other and we're both helping each other out is I end up only playing one against one faction. So I really know how to play against Skaven really well because I play Skaven all the time when I play against James in these training sessions. So if you can have a variety of people you can do this with, or one person doesn't care about training themselves and they'll just pick up a lot of different armies. But I do find it is better to play, do this type of tactic against somebody who is at their best. So using their best army, not just throwing something together, like actually using a list that they plan on winning with. So you, you're not just taking advantage of their weaknesses and, you're both having to learn the army together. Uh, if both players know their army really well, you're not focusing on mechanics and you're actually focusing on the tactics then. So you, you oh, yeah. still need to, so like I went to this tournament under, so that's, that's an, this is another thing I like to do for training is I like to just go to small tournaments, like one day tournaments, like, yeah, 14s. I'm used to the 40 K numbers. So 14 to me is small, but then I think back like, yes, actually 14 is a good number. But uh, like just going to a three-round tournament, I have no intention of winning anything. I don't really care about the prize for it. I spend $15 to go there and play three games against people I never play against, against armies I never play against, to their natural conclusion, and just see how armies out there perform against my list. And so I, I like going to as many of these small tournaments leading up to a GT as I can to just get those full reps in to augment my training sessions. That's great. Um, being able to just go to these random events is very, very helpful. And in fact, that's when I first got into the game, that's what I was doing. That was the, the most effective use of my practice time, uh, learning Age of Sigmar, which is just go to as many like one day RTTs as possible and just like learning it and figuring it out and fighting the variety of people and players and 
it worked out in the long run. So yeah, definitely trying to practice in that way is also going to be super, super helpful. Um, have you ever tried, you know, practicing, you know, maybe with like units in a vacuum or anything like that at all? Um, I actually haven't tried practicing with units in a vacuum. Um, I don't really know how strong that is because in, in Sigmar, a lot of the strong units, the strong strategies revolve around uh, synergies and seeing things work together. Um, and I feel like also if you focus solely on a single unit, you you lose the battlefield as a whole and objectives win games, units don't. So like, yeah, spite revenants have this like, you know, great melee potential, but then you end up using them more as just little objective screeners that like, oh, I'll hold a spite revenant unit near a tree and teleport him later. So I don't teleport him right away. So it's like, but if you if I just use spites in a vacuum, like what like maybe explain more what you mean by like use a unit in a vacuum. Like is it just like roll the dice and see what happens, or is it actually like play with that unit? Uh, you know what? You just you just put a new idea in my mind. Rather than try to go for units in a vacuum, how about putting scenarios together in a vacuum? Like, oh, I'm on this objective, but then I have to face I just got double turned and now here's the worst case scenario. How do I get out of this? Kind of like a Houdini situation. What do you think about those kind of situations? Purposely manufactured Houdini situations that you got to try to get out of. That'd be very interesting. Um, I don't like, I don't know if I am smart enough to set up those scenarios, I guess is the one thing I'd say. Uh, I, I will say that as far as, units in a vacuum i actually do simulations where i grab uh, all the math hammer tools that i can and sometimes some dice simulators and i actually just roll the things out like what would happen if um like if i want to find the efficiency of a unit i'll be like what would happen if i send six sword hunters into a unit of long beards with tempest eye on turn one how much damage could i effectively expect to do i do that a lot where i just basically just see what unit a versus unit b does because that does uh, determine what kind of decisions i make once i enter the game i do a lot of math ahead of time to know how effective units are against each other so that it's like oh well spite revenants are going to do like two damage against this unit and then i'll take five in return which would wipe me out i'm never going to send spites against them ever like that, that that's just a dumb idea um or it's like oh yeah i can send my colonel hunters in but i'm only going to kill 14 of the 30 guys and then i'll take three wounds in return so i have to know expect that i'm not going to be able to go with the plan of wipe out his screen on turn one i have to know that i'm going to take two turns to do that thing so i do a lot of simulations and stuff when i'm doing list building to determine what kind of tactics I use with those units. Okay. Okay. I like this idea. I like, I like where you're going with this. <laughs> I mean, surprise, surprise, the math guy brings math into a math game. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of apps out there. I mean, I don't even know, actually, quite frankly, I don't know if they still exist, but there were, there used to be like kind of, electronic versions of like wargaming like tabletop simulators i don't know if those still exist i mean tabletop simulator is still a thing but it's oh you know, it's, it's still a, lot. a thing i mean it's it's a game on steam um you can play it mm. uh i mean it tabletop simulator is literally just a simulated physics engine 
where people made 3D models of games. That's all that game is. So uh, people, it would require you to find all of the 3D models you want and set it up and manually do everything. Uh, but you could play on Tabletop Simulator. That is true. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's like you're losing so many different factors there um, when, when you play it like that. But it's definitely a possibility, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. So I would say probably one of the big things you can do if you don't have like a training partner, uh, if you're just going to the game store a lot, one of the like I a lot of games I see sometimes people do early concessions and stuff like that. I would encourage you to not get discouraged by like being beaten quickly or uh, not be super joyful about beating your opponent quickly and be like, Hey, let's re-rack and try again. You know, like if you're out there with just a random friend or something at the game store, I would definitely, if, if a game went quickly due to bad dice or whatever, like, Oh, someone made a huge tactical error and the guy's like, well, that'll lose me the game. It's like, okay, well let's just, just I'll undo that action. And let's have you do the most optimal way to defeat this action. And then let's continue. Because uh, I, I don't like just – if I'm at a friendly game at a game store, I don't really want to beat my opponent in the best possible scenario. I'd rather beat my opponent in the worst possible scenario because yeah. that allows me to overcome things. So I'll gladly let my opponent like quickly like go, oh, yeah, yeah, let's just, let's just have you – go as if you built this screen correctly. Let's not like, yeah, I took advantage of it. I showed you how I beat you, but now let's undo this action and keep playing. Cause I mean, for one thing I came up, I drove all the way out to the game store. I kind of want to get a full two and a half hours of gaming in. I don't want to play for half an hour and then go home. Uh, the exactly. other thing is, is that, you know, it, it's better cause I play to train myself for tournaments and I would gladly just like, yeah, like it, playing against the optimal scenarios and learning from your mistakes and learning against and having your opponent learn from your mistakes strengthens you to react more efficiently. And then also see those mistakes means that you can see them again when other opponents use, uh, make those mistakes at tournaments and you'd be like, Oh, I'm going to capitalize on it because I remember taking advantage of this against another opponent and it totally decimated his army. So, I definitely would encourage a lot of re-racks and redos when you're playing with random people at game stores. I like the idea of re-racks. You know, I don't think of, I never use that term in terms of when it comes to Age of Sigmar, but that's a good idea. And, Repetition and really, helps a ton. Yeah. But also like, like you said, making sure that you get the most out of the event and making sure that you can actually like get the full game in and try to, avoid any sort of discouragement from your opponent or from yourself. It's also going to be super helpful when you make those type of practices. Mm -hmm. Also just honestly training your mind to not be discouraged when bad dice happen or bad rolls happen helps when you get to an event. Cause a lot of times you can get into your head and be like, just oh yeah, get, like, Oh, I'm losing. And you just like, so getting used to losing gracefully can sometimes really win. Like I've seen, a guy who was losing the whole game. And then I come back an hour and a half later and it's bottom of turn five. And it comes down to one roll off to win just because he had the strength and fortitude to just not concede and just play the game out and never lose focus and just go for the gold at the very end. And he almost pulled it off. He ended up losing, but it was like, 
an amazing feat just because he kept his cool the whole time. And so oh. training yourself to keep cool by not losing your cool at the game store is, a, is good as well. I, I can tell you right now, uh, that actually happened to me at T-Shift. I, uh, round four, uh, my opponent, great guy, uh, he brought Flesh Eater Quartz and Terrorgeist went ham and it was Gristlegore and very quickly I was on the back foot. And it was focal. No, it wasn't focal points. It was um, relocation orb. And I was pretty. I, I, I told him by the end of my turn, because I, I had to get turn one, I was trying to pin him down, but I uh, didn't. I, what I should have done in retrospect, I told him the moment my turn was done, I said, I shouldn't have tried to pin your army down turn one. I should have instead completely wrapped around the. Um, the the objectives there was just no way you were turn one even hitting any of the units that i didn't want you to hit and he was like oh yeah you totally could have done that i don't know why you did that either and i'm like oh well you know this is why we play um and uh yeah very quickly it, it came down he tabled me uh down to like one model i think i had like one chain rasp who was just kind of like floating around the board but it came down to the double turn on turn five and if i got the double turn then the game was over and there was no way he was going to be able to catch up on objectives against me. But if I didn't get the double turn, then he would have just finished me. And, you know, lo and behold, I got the double turn and that was game. I just moved my, I ran you know, my one model left over into the direction, grabbed the objective and said, great, like you're not going to be able to catch up now. Um, and so if someone were to watch that game, you know, say an hour or two hours in, they would have been like, wow, Alex is going to just solidly lose that game. So sometimes you pull it out of your butt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is, this is why practice makes perfect for sure. I, um, I will say I do fall victim to a lot of early concessions in games, but that's mm. mainly because uh, honestly, I like, I go to events and I sometimes don't want to put through myself through all of that mental strain to get the win and I'll do an early concede and I'll just go watch my friends games. Like at the end of the day, a lot of the times I go to these events to hang out with my friends and have a really good time. And so I'll concede early just because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to put myself through this. There's a small chance I'm going to win. I will be exhausted afterwards. I'd rather just uh, concede, give you the win, and go enjoy the rest of my day. So I, I do fall victim to that a lot. It does not help my win record, but it definitely uh, lets me keep a good, strong mental health while at events. Yeah. Well. Well, you know, this is this is something that's very helpful for many individuals. So hope our listeners have gotten a, a good idea as to what they might be able to implement when it comes to training. Um, in the meantime. Uh, if you guys do like this episode, feel free to uh, like us on Facebook, give us a review on uh, Facebook and Apple Podcasts, and be sure to download uh, the app from uh, or download the episode from Podbean, Frontline Gaming's uh, uh, you know uh, podcast role, or uh, wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, uh, we are going to be taking a closer look into the SoCal Open packet in our next episode when John and Jeremy will once again grace our presence. Uh, this is going to be. Garrett and uh, Alex signing off for the night. See you guys. Have a good night. Winning is not a sometime thing. It's an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning 
It's a habit. 